You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Ben from DreamWild Studio. Ben, how are you? Is this, is this it? Are you talking to me from your new computer right now? I'm talking to you from my new Studio B, which is my old computer. <laughs> I, I have it set up, um, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but I have my old computer set up in my vocal guitar amp room oh okay and there's kind of a couple ideas behind this uh one is that it is confirmed i am getting an intern for the summer and this is going to be his main workstation so he can do all my mix preps from here nice it's going to be a clone of my new computer so i should be able to import sessions and any mix prep done on this one will uh, come up on my computer, which is awesome. That's great. Yeah. I have uh, an album thing I want to ask you about. Have you heard Paul McCartney's new album? McCartney no, 3? I had no idea he did a new album thing. Yeah, yeah. He did it during COVID and he did it, I mean, as DIY as somebody like Paul McCartney can do something, but you know, he's got <laughs> a home studio as you would expect. He recorded this pretty much by himself. I, you know, he had a little bit of help. I think he has like an in-house engineer, but he played all the instruments on it. He wrote all the songs. He did all the production himself. And it is a good album. I just got to, just got to thinking about the greats. You know how like yeah. Michael Jordan could never turn it off. Like he was, every night he hit the floor, no matter what it was, like he had to be Michael Jordan mm-hmm. or like Tom Brady or any of these people who reached this, this pinnacle of success. And I got that feeling listening to this McCartney album, man. He's just such a strong songwriter. Yeah. And a great instrumentalist. I mean, he's playing all these instruments. And um, man, how many songs has that guy written, you know? And he still he still has the creativity and inspiration to write more. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast and the podcaster was answering a question that this young person had about, you know, I'm a starving, struggling artist. And I feel like I'm afraid that I can't make this happen for myself. So, and he was specifically talking about being a writer, I think, or he was involved in a lot of different creative outlets. And he was asking the question of, you know, should I go get a real job or should I just like tough it out? You know, the big question that all of us artists have essentially. (laughs) And I thought the answer was so interesting that this um, professional writer, uh, gave to him and he basically said you know you you should absolutely get a job and it has nothing to do with the fact that you are an artist or you you aren't like um you just shouldn't put yourself in a situation where you feel like you're failing that was the first thing but the second thing Mm. and more importantly that he focused in on was you know you're talking about and the person who wrote in was saying when I have a day off to like work on my art, I don't work on it. I just feel worried that I'm wasting my time and I just wind up playing video games. And we've been there. What, I've been yeah, there for sure. Yeah. I, I think probably all of us have at one point or another, just with that feeling of dread. But the interesting thing that this um, 
successful writer said to him was, an artist will, given, given the opportunity, will create. And so the fact that you're not creating means that you're one, either you're not an artist, you know, down at your core, and it's just good to realize that, or two, you're dealing with other issues that's getting in the way of who mm. you truly are. So you need to address those issues first before you can even think about being a creative. And that goes back to our episode on Maslow's hierarchy of needs and just kind of unlocking that whole creative side of, you know, being a studio and a musician. So I think that, you know, taking it back to what you said about Paul McCartney, I would venture to guess that he's just constantly creating. He just, given the opportunity, doesn't matter how much money he has, doesn't matter if he's busy or has all the time in the world. He's clearly not doing it for the money, right? That's the thing, yeah. right? It's like, he's just creating because he he's an artist and that's, yeah, that's what he does. So very cool. And I, I do think you have some, I mean, it's something to be said for like the greats who have lasted this long. That's just kind of how they are. Yeah. And I think what you said is very applicable to people today. I know uh, I've been reaching out to a lot of my past clients just to check in, see how they're doing and to see, you know, if they're working on any new music. Um, and I'm getting a lot of the same type of feedback, which is like, man, music has not been at the forefront of my mind. You know, this it's one, one thing or another, some of them get into detail, some of them don't, but it's like, it's been a tough year and I get it, you know? And I think that's, that's okay too. If you're, if you're going through some stuff you maybe have to turn it off. Like we can't, you can't be a creative output a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. To, uh, so yeah, don't, don't beat yourself up too much. Yeah. Well, anyway, so this episode, you know, you've been talking about building a computer for <laughs> so, a long time now. So long. And people, people don't know this, but you know, I'll get text messages from you late at night. Sometimes that's like, I found the motherboard for my computer. And then at one point you were like, I decided not to do this. I decided to just scrap the project. I did say and that. And then yeah. it turned out you didn't scrap it. So all this back and forth has been going on behind the scenes. We've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but we thought, hey, it'd be a cool episode now that you're through this endeavor and you've pulled the trigger and you've done it and it's been successful. It would be cool for me to kind of interview you on this because I know very little about DIY computers at, in general. So I came up with a list of questions and we thought it'd be fun to for me to interview you. So you're today's guest on this podcast. Very happy to be here. Well, first of all, when you point it that way or, or, or frame the whole computer build thing as like, you know, first you told me you were and you were excited and then you said you weren't and then it came out. And it, it reminds me of like, if I could only channel the way I'm excited about building a computer into maybe how I release my own solo music, man, I will create such a hype for myself. Oh, is there a new album coming out? Oh no, he scrapped the album. <laughs> yeah, oh my like gosh, Kanye, it got released yeah. today. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. That's what it's been like for me watching your journey is like, is this going to happen or not? Is he going to pull <laughs> yeah. all these pieces together? So yes, oh that's what gosh. we're talking about today. So I think a good place to start is probably where you started, which is how do you know when it's time to upgrade your computer? Like what are the triggers or flags that came up that made you think maybe it's time for an upgrade? So yeah, I was thinking about this a little bit and um, it's hard to give a single answer because if you're on a really tight budget, like you don't have a lot of expendable income, then you're gonna wanna squeeze every ounce of productivity out of your rig as possible. 
uh, if you have a well-paying job and you're doing music as a hobby, or if you're a musician and you're just like, you're living well above your means, then maybe there isn't as much of a barrier to upgrade. Maybe you just want to upgrade because you want the newest and best thing and the money doesn't matter to you as much. So with that in mind, I kind of came up with, I think, a, a deeper truth. So I think the time to upgrade and get a new computer is when the time and frustration of dealing with a slow or laggy computer costs you more in time, frustration, and creativity than buying a new one costs you in money. If that makes sense. It does make sense, but I want you to elaborate. Talk about sure. um, some of these, where some of these sticky points or points of frustration are and what you mean by slow kind of just elaborate on oh, that sure. whole thing. yeah i've noticed that when i start especially with mixing it's not as much of a problem with recording so i'll throw out that caveat as well but regardless just take any of my advice and just apply it to your own workflow whatever you're doing if it's mostly recording then just take anything i might say about you know mixing on my computer and just apply it to what you're doing but I noticed that uh, when I was getting into my longer mix sessions with a lot of tracks, especially ones that were uh, heavily reliant on uh, virtual instruments. So I've been doing a lot of productions lately where I have like 10 violin tracks and they're all virtual instruments along with uh, a virtual instrument drum kit and... Even some of the neural DSP guitar plugins are so CPU heavy. Uh, I was running into this problem where I had to start rendering like more than half, like the majority of my tracks into transforming them from a MIDI and virtual instrument into, into just audio to be able to actually work in real time in my sessions without them becoming laggy or getting the pops and clicks and stuff. Even with my buffer size set to the maximum and you'll know what buffer is uh, if you go back and review our episode on latency we talked a lot about buffer buffer size what is latency yeah episode 54 yeah and we talk about some of these things which you're saying which is you can like freeze tracks and convert your tracks yes. to audio so okay so you're, you so you found you were having to do that in your production sessions or else you were running into issues like clicks pops yes your daw freezing up or whatever else right yeah. And so okay. the first thing I thought is uh, not even, oh, it's time to buy a new computer. I thought, you know, what can I do to make my workflow better? And so I started doing some of those things, freezing tracks, bouncing out audio. And I found that even with the plugins I was using, I was still running into these issues where um, I think it was just the nature of the plugins I've acquired over the years are just more CPU intensive because they're doing more complex functions. And so it wasn't as much of a problem two years ago, but now it's becoming more of a problem when I'm using some of these more modern plugins and tools. Uh, additionally to that, I was running into problems where, so I built my last computer back in 2015 and I bought the most storage that I could afford at the time and I didn't have a chance to go back and I wanted to compare like what the cost of, especially of the storage units of um, SSDs, so solid state drives in 2015 compared to now, but I think they're 
my memory serves me correctly, I think that they've like halved in price to what they were back then. Mm. Um, just with the technology getting more readily available and cheaper. So I'm running into the problem now where uh, I can't even fit all of the programs uh, like my DAW and uh, all the plugins. They won't even fit on one hard drive on my old computer. And so I had to go from having a very organized uh, way of installing files on my computer to just putting them wherever they would fit because I was running out of space and just running into really annoying things. Like I have a big sample library um, that I use a lot because it has really good effects, transitions, sub drops, just odd and end things like that. And I don't have room for it anywhere else in my computer. So it just lives on a external uh, flash drive. It's just a hassle to remember all these uh, samples are on this external drive and it just has to be plugged in and, you know, but I want to unplug it most of the time because it has like an automatic backup feature on it. So it will like randomly in the middle of a session when I'm working on things, it will open the file explorer. Like it just got plugged in and just stop my session. And so it's just a really big creative like interrupter. Okay. So there's different ways of fixing this. Like it doesn't have to be buying a new computer, but I was just running into all of these symptoms of this is an outdated rig kind of a thing. Right. So to summarize it, like you're running into a couple of issues. One was that more modern plugins or more CPU intensive, you started finding that your computer couldn't keep up. The processor couldn't keep up, which meant even when you adjusted your latency, you would still run into clicks and pops and issues with your DAW freezing up. Two is you were just low on disk space and and disk space is cheaper now and also better technologies with solid state drives. And really the way you're wrapping this up is saying, look, when when the opportunity cost of the frustration is greater than the cost of a new computer, which is a very philosophical thing, but I love that as a summary, then it might be time to upgrade. So you ran into this, you made the decision. Once you've decided to upgrade, you have a couple of choices, right? You could buy a new computer off the shelf that's not meant for audio, but it's very suitable for audio in terms of RAM, processor power, and so on. You could buy a custom-built machine through like Roxbox or Sweetwater or whoever that make audio computers, or you could DIY assemble your own. So what was your decision point there? It sounds like you're saying you've done this before, so maybe you have a little bit of experience, but maybe for somebody who hasn't done it before, what is the decision point between those three options? Great question. Uh, I think I can break it down into four points. And I'll start with first, these are four ways or four reasons why you can you should consider building your own. So the first is customization. You can buy the exact components you want to have the machine to get the job done. And then you don't have any extra fluff, whether that's software or hardware. You, uh, in fact, in my build, I don't have a a graphics processing unit video card because I don't need it for audio production. So I save money on that and I could put that money into components that are more important. So that's the first Mm. reason. Second reason is, and this is a big one, you save lots of money, like major money doing it this way. Uh, I looked up before the podcast here, 
so just so our listeners know, like the realm I'm talking about, I spent just under $1,800 building my new computer. So it wasn't a cheap thing. It was pretty expensive. Um, but to have an iMac, like that sounds expensive, but to have an iMac Pro that's at that same level, comparable, y- yep. you would have to spend over twice as much. Right. We're talking four to five grand to have the same uh, CPU, memory, and storage specs. Gotcha. And a pre-built BC, a PC is going to cost you about 50% more, at least. Mm, okay. That's great numbers. Yeah. So third reason, you can give yourself a very easy path to upgrading by building your own because you know exactly what's in there. You put it together so you know where all your components are, you know where they plug into. might take you some time to figure all that out, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But the awesome thing about this is you can buy maybe uh, a cheaper CPU and then upgrade it later when you get more money or if you wait for the price to go down or you can basically switch out any components that you want. It's it's a little harder to switch out the motherboard because that's kind of like the, the backbone of your PC, but basically any other component can be swapped out for something that's upgraded or new, which is awesome. really cool. And then the fourth yeah. reason uh, is you have complete control over your re- recording system um, and if you are just kind of like a a guy or girl that likes to build things, it can be really fun, a lot of fun. And and I think that's kind of what drew me to it initially. So that's your fifth reason because I'm keeping count <laughs> and taking notes, but uh, but those are five great reasons. So customizations, you could buy exactly what you want. Uh big savings going DIY. Oh no, you're right. That was your fourth one. My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I threw I threw like those two into one at the end. So it's yeah. all good. But big savings going DIY. That was two. Number three is easy path to upgrade. You know the you know the your way around the the machine, and you know um, what's upgradable, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So I love those reasons. And some of those remind me of the discussion I had with uh, Peterson Goodwin of DIY Recording Equipment when he when I was pushing mm. him on why would you build your own analog gear? And he was like, look, I used to tell people it was because it sounds better or whatever, but now I just tell people it's fun and (laughs) you'll have a good time doing it. So I like those reasons a lot. Um, So let's talk a little bit about some of these components which you mentioned because, again, this is where my knowledge is is very lacking and very wanting. What are the components that are on your shopping list when you're looking to DIY build a computer? Okay, maybe I'll throw out the most important ones and then we can go through them Sure. Uh, in order of importance. But there's like one, two, I'm just counting real, real quick. Oh, there's like six main ones and there are more than that, but these are the big ones you think about first and then everything else kind of houses them or is accessories to those. Now, this is specific to audio PC builders. So this is specifically for recording. And the first component I'm going to put on there is different than pretty much any other website I've ever seen. I have a reason for it, though. First is motherboard. Um, That's the first thing you're going to think about. Second thing is your CPU. Third thing is memory. Fourth thing is very important is cooling. Mm. Fifth is power supply. And then sixth is storage. So I guess we can hop in and talk about each of these. So why is motherboard the most important? 
the reason this is most important is because when you're building an audio computer, really the audio computer is kind of like the uh, the medium and the uh, it's supporting. Well, it's a medium for recording, and it's also supporting what you're doing outside of the computer, aka your recording and capturing performances. Okay, so the mo- the motherboard is what determines your connectivity options. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's different than using a p- computer for other things like video editing or even gaming, because you're going to build everything around your CPU in that context, because everything. It's basically internal to your computer, like all the tasks that are happening and, and the enjoyment. But with uh, an audio PC, like, yeah, like all of your recording is contained in the computer, but you're capturing something external to it and you're also exporting that whenever it's done. So it has to be able to connect. Connectivity to- is, is more important for audio than for something like gaming where you're saying, well, the game runs on the computer and you're yes. doing everything through the computer. You don't need much connectivity other than like your input output devices. But right. for audio, you have an interface really is the big thing that yeah. you need to to consider. Okay. Yeah. And so ex- an example of this, why this is important is I was researching CPUs uh, and I really wanted to go with AMD this time. For a very long time, Intel has been the leader in CPUs, but I think just recently, like AMD became like very even with Intel, but still more affordable. So it became like a very attractive uh, way to go uh, with the most recent generation of processors. But because of the connectivity of motherboards when it comes to building, uh, I had to go with Intel because I really want to upgrade to. A Thunderbolt interface and there are only I looked for weeks there are only two motherboards currently on the market uh, that support Thunderbolt for an AMT for an AMT CPU build and the one is a mini ATX which means it's meant for like a mini computer and I was not interested in that for a computer build and the second one costs $700, which I think is an exorbitant cost for a motherboard. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, that just that alone, the connectivity ruled out AMD completely. So I had to go mm. Intel. Interesting. I just started watching. This is totally, uh, totally <laughs> an aside. But there's this Amazon series called Upload. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. I'm it's... You can uh, you can make a decision to upload your consciousness into like a digital heaven, mm. basically. Uh, so it's this kind of sci-fi dystopian thing. But the reason I thought of it is because the company that set it up is a conglomerate called Oscar Mayer Intel, <laughs> so, which I thought was <laughs> which I thought was funny, a funny concept. That is really funny. Anyway, continue. So so motherboard is the most important because of connectivity. And you said you know we're recording this in February 2021, yeah. as of this recording, you said basically you were kind of pushed into Intel because you know, again, this is where the customization comes in. You know you want to upgrade someday to a Thunderbolt interface, which is which is a smart move, in my opinion, to future-proof your studio. So you ended up going with, uh, with an Intel CPU. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how does uh, – I guess we're sort of transitioning from motherboard to CPU then. Maybe just talk about some specs there. What were you looking at? Yeah, so 
this probably took the most research out of everything, the CPU. And one more thing about motherboards before we yep. head into CPUs is that whatever CPU you pick, whether that's AMD or Intel, you have to get a compatible motherboard. They're not okay. interswappable. So gotcha. that's, why, that's why it kind of determined that. I knew that the motherboard I was getting supported Intel, so I had to get a, uh, an Intel CPU. Okay. So essentially the rule of the game with uh, CPUs is you're trying to buy most recent gen CPU you can afford. And it gets a little bit confusing, especially with the nomenclature. Um, the way that Intel, the way that Intel's nomenclature works is you'll see this lowercase i and then a 975 or 3. So that doesn't mean generation. That basically is their tier rating. So the 9 is like the platinum. Uh, the i7 is like the gold. The i5 is the silver. <laughs> okay. And the i3 is the bronze. Okay. So think of it that way. And then the next number, so you'll see what I wound up going with was an i7. Then you'll see a dash, and then the f next number after that, which is one, actually two numbers, one zero, that's 10th generation. So an i7-10 is going to be better across the board than an i7-9. And this is where it starts getting tricky because you might see an i7, hypothetically, an i7 from a previous gen uh, generation that has a gigahertz and that's the speed that it does logical processing that's maybe at the same level or higher even than a current gen. But I would say that it's more important to go with a more, more recent gen because uh, the technology that they build these things, these CPUs with, advances so much every generation that mm. even if your processor doesn't work as fast, uh, as an older generation, it's still going to be more efficient because they build more efficient logical processors into each iteration. So it's easy to get bogged down with the numbers because I, I like to be a numbers guy and say, well, this CPU is rated at this base clock versus this older CPU is has a lower base clock, but then it can turbo up to this higher number. You can kind of let all that fade away a little bit and, and just look at what generation is it? Is it the most current gen? And then i9, i7, i5, i3. So in other words, you would go with like, even though an i7 gen 9 might have a faster speed than an i5 gen 10, just a hypothetical, you would still yeah. go with the high, you would prioritize the higher generation over the higher nominal processing frequency or rate yeah i would and okay. I, I part of the reason too is because the reporting and the way that they test the processors i mean it it varies widely with the programs that you're using and so it's really hard to just kind of compare number to number if that makes sense yeah this is a bit of a hairy subject because i think the nominal the gigahertz ratings are like you know, I, I aren't they? They're looking at like an aggregate, statistical aggregate across the the processors yeah. that they're being manufactured, and so you can get one that's above that, 
or below that within some statistical range. Is that true? That is true. Um, I was actually watching some videos on this today. So when you look at a, this is true of AMD and Intel, when you look at the rating of this processors, you'll see a base clock rating, and then you'll see an OC overclocked rating. Right. And what this essentially means is, I think base clock is basically like, this is the average base operating speed of this CPU across an aggregate number of tested. And then an overclocked is, this is the maximum that you could expect this CPU to clock in at if you intentionally overclock it. Now, the interesting thing is all CPUs are shipped kind of uh, with a buffer to that overclocked rating. So out of the box, you're not going to have a CPU that maybe comes close, but it's not going to touch that overclocked rating. You have to actually like supply more voltage to it. And you can mm. go in and tweak things in your uh, motherboard and BIOS to supply more voltage to your CPU. And that all can get a little bit hairy. Uh, it voids your warranty on the CPU and, gotcha. it de and it decreases the lifespan. So from what I was hearing is like, if you overclock a lot of the time, you can cut your lifespan in half. So a CPU that would last 15 years would only last seven years if you overclocked all the time. Now, let me add, that's interesting. Is that, are those actual numbers or is that just an example? That's an example. And I mean, okay. it, all, it all varies based off of, it's basically like um, overworking a bicycle. Let's say like a bicycle that you're riding, it can handle, I don't know, like a certain speed that you pedal the bikes at. But you, if you artificially hook your bicycle up to a machine that can spin the pedals faster than a human... It's just not meant to take that kind of strain for no, an extended I, period of time. No, I got you. I'm just wondering, like, if it's really, like, nobody's keeping a computer for seven years anymore. So, like, if yes, it's decreasing it actually from 15 years to seven years, I'm saying I'm going, I'm overclocking it, right? So, like, yeah. what what are you deciding to do with with that? And how do you overclock it? You're saying you got to actually go and mess with, like, the, I guess, the firmware on the motherboard? Yeah, there's firmware settings, and Intel actually makes... Um, an extreme overclocking program that you can toggle the settings with. And they actually, it's set up pretty user-friendly in a way where you can adjust, like at least the way that my motherboard BIOS works, you can adjust a slider that will increase the voltage. And I've heard recommended, like, just go up like a bump at a time and then they make um, like a stress test program. Like They make different stress test programs that you can run your system on for a day just to make sure that it's stable because kind of the bigger problem even more than like you're putting strain on your system is by overclocking whether it's your uh, cpu or your memory you can make your system unstable and it will just crash when you run programs gotcha so you can run the stress to, you kind of incrementally increase the voltage which increases the clock speed yeah. And then you run the stress test program. If the system is stable, then it's like, well, maybe you're re reducing your lifespan a little bit, but maybe you're willing to live with that because you get better, that better performance. Yeah. Yeah. And we're kind of getting in the weeds a little bit as far as that, but I did want to mention it because you see so much hype about this, like when you're reading forums or researching this stuff. And I think for general people trying to like just record audio, like you're not 
you're not going to need to overclock. You're not even going to worry about it. Like I'm not going to overclock my system and feel until I feel like I need to, because for all I know, and I haven't done too much testing yet or running programs for that matter on my new system, but if it can handle everything with the like out of box settings, why would I overclock it? That's my kind of process. Makes sense. That's good information. I, I didn't, that, that's even good for me to uh, take, take some notes on here. So, okay, moving on to your next point, which is memory. So memory is RAM, right? So, so yes. is, is there, what is your decision on RAM and does it have to do with your decision on CPU speed? Are those two things related at all? Yeah, they are. Good question. Um, so there is a not too complicated formula with figuring out how fast your memory is because there's two numbers you need to keep in mind. The first one is the gigahertz speed that your memory is rated at. You'll see something like uh, the memory I bought was 30, rated at 3200 gigahertz memory. Now that's like overclocked and that's not even a maximum overclock that it's rated at. So you could actually put, I could actually push my memory faster than even what it's rated to, but it might not be stable. Um, okay. But that's the first number to keep in mind. And the second one is you'll see a latency rating. There's four numbers, but really the first one is the most important and that's in milliseconds. So essentially it's kind of like an inverse ratio. And a lot of times you'll see, oh wow, there's, memory out there that's rated at 3600 megahertz but maybe the latency is rated at 18 milliseconds whereas i bought 3200 gigahertz memory rated at 16 milliseconds so you might wind up when you do the calculation that both memories are equivalent speeds actually but the 3600 gigahertz memory cost a lot more the gigahertz, paying for more gigahertz speed is more expensive. So what I say is the better way of thinking about this is look at your motherboard and CPU specs from the manufacturer website. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. And I didn't even know this until I hooked up my new build. So remember what I said, I bought memory rated at 3,200 gigahertz. Uh, my Intel i7 CPU is rated at being stable running memory at 2,933 gigahertz. So it's at a lower rating than my memory that I bought. And then my motherboard is actually rated at being stable at 2,666 megahertz. So when I installed my system and booted everything up the first time, I could monitor uh, my memory, how fast it was, working at and it actually defaulted to 2666 megahertz so by default the memory chose whatever component was at the lowest stable number which i thought was which i thought was really interesting so in retrospect i'm still happy with what i went with but you really should go with the most gigahertz that you can get or i'm sorry not gigahertz the most uh, gig gigabytes of memory you can afford at the highest speed that's supported by both your CPU and motherboard, because more gigabytes of RAM is going to get you more in the audio world 
then the speed or latency is going to get you. All right, so you got three parameters there, it sounds like. You got the gigabytes, yes. which we're kind of familiar with. You got the latency, and you have the memory rating. Yeah, speed. So you're, so you're saying, I mean, I think we've talked about gigabytes before. I mean, 16 is like the minimum I would go with now. What did you end up going with? 64. I went like overboard. 64, okay. Yeah. So, so have- you went 64, and then after that, you're looking at basically getting as much of a speed rating, clock rating, as you can, but realizing that you will be limited most likely by either the motherboard or the CPU. So you're saying go with like the highest, the higher of those two, and that's presumably so you can upgrade the weakest component later at some point? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. I went with um, the memory that I got was 3200 gigahertz, 16 millisecond uh, latency. But the reason I got that, it was the most affordable that I could get 64 gigabytes of RAM. So I went with the amount of RAM more than I went with the, the speed rating or the latency, because that's the most important. And, and so we, we know about audio latency because we just did an episode on it. What does latency mean in this context? So this is how quickly your memory can, um, or RAM stands, stands for random access memory. It's how quickly it can, on the fly, like access the programs that you're working on and basically just eliminate any lag time from, you know, grabbing a, a plug-in or a, whatever multiple programs you're running on your computer at, at a certain time. I don't know if I mentioned this in a previous episode, but your RAM is kind of like a temporary storage space for everything that's installed on your hard drive. So... Anything you're currently working on, your computer takes and stores in its RAM, random access memory. So the more capacity you have there, the more programs and information can be kind of in that location, uh, in those RAM sticks to be able to like manipulate in real time. And there's not going to be like a delay. Like I know everybody's probably familiar with um, old hard disk drives. If you had to go in and access a drive to maybe open a program or open a file and maybe that dra- that uh, drive wasn't active. So you double click on it and you hear this whirling up of the CD spinning or the uh, disc spinning inside the hard disk drive and your whole system freezes for like a couple seconds. So what you're seeing is kind of the latency that's happening from accessing that really slow old technology. Whereas uh, RAM is kind of like a holding place that's eliminating all of that latency so yeah the way i like to i've I've used this analogy before but i think it's a good one is like you might have a bunch of tools right in your house and the ram you're doing a project now and you are the processor the ram is the size of your workbench that's you're not putting all your tools and materials on the workbench at the same time you're only putting the ones that you're working on but more RAM gives you a bigger workbench. But of course, your if your workbench is too big, then you're you know you're the you're the weakest link then as the processor. So that's why the two of them kind of have to interact. So that makes sense. And 16 milliseconds is freaking fast. Yeah, so, it's fast. Uh, that's good there. Okay, your next one is cooling, and this makes sense. Cooling is important. Uh, tell me about cooling. What are you looking at? Modern CPUs get really really hot. 
And it makes sense because you have a lot of voltage going to them. There's a lot of processing uh, happening at the same time. Like uh, the processor I just bought has eight cores and 16 threads. So it's doing a lot of thinking <laughs> all at one time. Not only that, but uh, if you're ever thinking of overclocking, you're essentially sending more voltage and kind of forcing your CPU to overheat to get sure. more uh, to get more work out of it. So having effective cooling is super important. Um, Does that mean your tracks, your recorded tracks will sound warmer? <laughs> Just kidding. Bad joke. Anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> okay, so CPU is thinking it's getting hot. So what do you, obviously, you know, cooling is probably a fan or something, but like, what are you looking at there? Is there anything you're considering spec-wise? Like you have to be able to remove... Or there's fins or whatever you have. We can talk about it. Yeah. How much heat do you need to remove and like how are you figuring that out? Good questions. Um, the, my biggest concern, honestly, when looking at this was I wanted something that was really effective because I was just scared to death of overheating and destroying a CPU that I spent so much money on. That's the first yep. thing. Second thing is... I hate the sound of like, I have a PS4 and the fan in the PS4 is so obnoxiously loud. It's just stupid, yeah. ridiculous. So I didn't want something that would effectively cool, but sound like a jet engine taking off. So I did a whole bunch of research and I looked at all the different options. Um, because at first, if you think about, well, would you rather get a fan or a water cooling system? And my first uh, intuition would be, well, water cooling, because that's probably more effective and quieter. But all water cooling systems have fans attached to them. Right. You still need a fan. You still need a way to get the heat out of the water. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's even more complicated do-it-yourself systems. But from, from what I've read, they're extremely expensive, and you don't get too much benefit beyond that. So you're pretty much looking at, if you're... If you have a budget at all, you're pretty much looking at uh, air coolers and water coolers. And I went with the best rated air cooler on the market, mostly because it seems uh, it seems that air coolers tend to be quieter on average. Um, so I went with the best quality air cooler that I could get. And something very important that you need to do when you decide on a company that you really like in a in a air cooler or water cooler that you want to use go and check the uh, normally the coolers they'll have a compatibility page on their website and they'll tell you if your motherboard is compatible with that cooler or not and actually i'm glad i looked this up because the cooler i wanted to get initially wouldn't have fit on my motherboard it would have been too mm. big so i had to get a modified version um, which is basically just as good, a little bit smaller, just so that it would fit on the way that my motherboard was lined out. So definitely check the compatibility. It's a big thing. Okay, I'll move on next to uh, uh, power supply. That's important too. So this unit that you'll buy, it's also called a PSU, power supply unit. Um, it supplies power to your motherboard, your CPU, to all your fans, and to all of your... Uh, hard drives that you have installed. Mm -hmm. So there's three different kinds you can get. You can get a non-modular, a semi-modular, and a fully modular. And all that means is 
Um, are you able to disconnect each connection that comes from the power supply unit to power each component? I like fully modular because it's just less wires, so you can make a cleaner inside of your computer. Um, so you have to spend a little bit more for that, but it's it's also just kind of nice to have uh, only the wires that you need plugged in, as opposed to a non-modular, which just means every single wire that uh, comes with your power supply unit is already pre-installed. So mm -hmm. uh, you can't take them off. They just have to sit in your computer uh, unplugged to something. And that just gets messy. It just, it becomes like annoying to deal with just cables everywhere. As I'm right. sure we all know in the audio world, dealing with cables. <laughs> yeah, good point. Your wattage you need to get a minimum of 500 watts, but you can go for even more than that. Uh, and... An interesting thing about this too is you can go on some of these sites like I really recommend PC Part Picker. Um, that's kind of how I quick checked all the compatibility of my components because they'll tell you right on the page if you pick all your components, they'll tell you if there's a compatibility problem. Gotcha. Uh, so it's great. But they'll also show you a wattage rating of all your components. But that can be misleading because I know my CPU is rated... Uh, at drawing 125 watts, but that's only at base power, it can pull up to twice that much or more if it's being overclocked. And But they don't tell mm -hmm. you that. You have to go and find that out from like forums or other people who do reviews. So gotcha. I think just kind of like with um, any audio technology, you want to give yourself some headroom. Uh, and also look at compatibility because some motherboards require special... Um, connections and stuff so that's just another thing to keep in mind uh and then maybe the last thing and then we could talk about like peripherals and just some other things uh is storage like this is really important and i think the first thing to keep in mind is think about how you want to organize your setup i recommend at least two hard drives in your build like two main hard drives the first one is for your operating system whether that's windows or something else and all of your programs, including your DAW and your all your plugins, anything that you use, uh, audio related, um, that's not audio files, and then have a separate hard drive for all of your session files and uh, samples. So that way, you're kind of uh, you'll be able to have your system work. It, it can be organized, and it'll work more quickly because you're not reading and writing from the same hard drive that your programs are reading from. So what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about this quite a bit, but it definitely is a good idea to segregate those two things and not have uh, your operating system and your or your DAW even running on the same drive as your samples are stored because, uh, again, at least with you know, as of as of today, I think the HDD, the traditional spinning disk storage, is still much more affordable than solid state drives. Yeah, and you got a picture, you got a spinning disk, and it it's the readers running around trying to run the program and pull your samples and whatever else. So it's nice to have those two things segregated if you can. I'm curious what you ended up going with for memory uh, in terms of size and drive type. So I got three different storage units. This is my idea behind it. Uh, Sorry, not memory. Yeah, storage. Go yeah. So I got two M2, M.2 solid state drives that are one terabyte each. So one of them wow. is going to be used for... Yeah, I went way overkill. I probably didn't need to do that, but 
<laughs> I I think I have a little PS, PTSD from my old computer not being big enough that I went that much bigger this time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm future-proofed. Um, so the one terabyte drive is going to be for all my programs and my operating system. And like I said, the other terabyte drive is for all my current sessions uh, and session files and samples. Uh, I also bought a two terabyte hard disk drive just kind of as an archive drive. So my idea behind this is I want my system backed up in three places, cloud backup, physical backup on my system where I can just move things from my solid state drive to my hard disk drive when I'm done with them. And then, and I actually bought, I forgot, I got something else. I got a five terabyte external flash uh, drive just as kind of like a final archiving external. And the reason you would want to do that is because let's say something in your computer fries and you don't want, even if you have it backed up in your computer, you don't want your backup to also fry in the same system. You want something external. And that could also be the point of having a cloud backup. But yep. I, I think that, you know, two is good. Three is greater is kind of my idea behind that. Yeah, I agree. I, I use um, a cloud backup system and an external hard drive as well. And I just run periodic uh, backups to those two uh, things. So I, I'm not really worried about losing files. And you're right. If you have everything in one place, that's scary because like my studio, like a lot of studios is in my basement. If there's yeah. some kind of biblical flood, then I lose my computer. And so at least I know I have a cloud backup. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. With, and I like your strategy a lot there. Okay. So this is great. This is great information. You've bought all of your components now. They show up. It's exciting. You rip open all your cardboard boxes. Now what? What kind of tools and skills do you need? And for somebody like me who's never done this before but is now seriously considering it, <laughs> um, what do I need to know? So I would say do your research is the most important thing at first. Uh, YouTube is a great resource. There's lots of people that have done builds. And even if you're not building a computer for the same purpose, it's just good to kind of see people walk you through the steps and getting to watch somebody else put something together, I think gave me more confidence with thinking, Oh, I can do this. Like just seeing somebody else handle the components because I think going into it and never doing it before, like my, for my first build, I was like terrified of touching anything. Like it was going to fall apart in my hands because it seems really fragile and it's expensive, but you'll notice that even though the, parts are fragile it's hard to break things at the same time like they're they're meant to be plugged in and you know unplugged yeah kind of thing so it's just helpful to see somebody else just kind of put things together because it gives you a frame of reference for you know how much pressure do i need to put or or what does this look like so good i'd say do your research um the second thing is read all the manuals like (laughs) You really want to do that um, because even with my experience building one before, uh, technology has changed a lot since 2015 when I built my last. And some things were so much more, uh, 
were so much easier this time around just with advances in technology. But what was difficult was that I feel like because I wasn't building a computer every year, I was not up to date on the technological advances. And so I kept feeling like I'm missing a step here or I feel like I need to install a driver for this thing. Whereas nowadays things come way more preset up and things are much more plug and play with mm-hmm. like, especially with PCs recognizing that, oh, you have a monitor plugged in and it just works. You don't have to like go and install a driver for this monitor to, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Read your manual. I'd say start with the motherboard manual because a lot of them, they'll have a step-by-step guide of what components to install first, how to install them, and just kind of a general like, this is when you install your operating system. This is when you do this. So it's a good... It's good to read all your manuals, but when you're ready to start building, start with the motherboard and use that as kind of the template. What about tools-wise? Did you have everything you needed? Is it Are we talking just screwdrivers, or do you need something crazy? Nice thing is a lot of them come with the additional tools that you need. Like The only crazy thing was um, my fan needed a Phillips screwdriver with an extremely long neck, but it came with that tool. Oh, wow. Okay. Cool. Which is awesome because I don't know where I would have found that. Like it, uh, because it had screws that needed screwed into the motherboard, but there was no ah, way was, to get, yeah, yeah, far away from it, yeah, far gotcha. away from it. And there's no way you're going to get your fingers in there or, yeah, any normal gotcha. screwdriver. The only other thing that I would recommend getting is get, I don't even know what they're called, but it's basically a wrist strap that has a piece of metal and, a wire with a clip attached to the other end of it. And the purpose of them is to discharge static electricity. Ah, Both times I've built my computer, I've been in the winter and I've been so terrified of like a static buildup because all it takes is one zap of static electricity to fry a CPU. Yeah. So you either want to like be next to like a desk or something that's metal and touch it like on very regular, uh, uh, intermittent like um, moments to discharge any static electricity or just have this thing connected to you just to ensure that you're not ever building up static. Great point. Yeah, that's why those all of those components you see come in those like special Mylar bags. Yeah. And uh, one of the things those bags do is prevent buildup of, of static electricity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Cool. So actually, you didn't you didn't talk about the housing at all. Is that tricky? Like picking uh, the whole everything to house oh, the components. Yeah, we should mention that. So like like the case. Um, yeah, the case. There's three general sizes of case, and the most common is what's called an ATX mid tier. You won't even see that mid on it a lot of times. It's just kind of like your average sized um, CPU case. I'd say that's like the most ideal size for uh, a, a computer build. You can get like super large towers. And I think more of the idea with that is you want like multiple graphics cards that are huge and they just need space and more airflow to keep from overheating. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think studio computers need that. But if you have room for a larger computer case, go ahead and get it. Uh, part of the problem I have is that both of my computer cases barely fit 
into like where my desk is. So I basically got the largest one that my desk could, you know, hold. Um, there's also uh, micro-sized ATXs. So they like, they're very tiny. They're like mini builds, but you don't want that. You want gotcha. something that can dissipate heat and smaller is not good for that. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, okay. So we've gotten all our parts. We've built it. We didn't fry anything. Let's talk operating system and some software stuff. What did you, what are you running? Windows 10? Yeah. Windows 10. And so is that something you just had to like, does it come with it? Do you have to buy that and do it yourself? Yeah, that's or how, good, how does the good boot, question. Boot process work? Yeah. So you do have to buy it. Um, okay. I didn't think about it before I bought it, but my new computer doesn't have a CD drive. Yeah. Cause right. I didn't, I didn't want it. Um, the problem is, is that a lot of these copies, I bought a discounted copy of Windows because they were running a sale, but it was a CD. And I was like, wait a second, how do I do this? So the cool thing is, is that um, when you insert that CD, you can just uh, highlight everything whenever just that, copy it. just copy it over to a flash drive. And then when you, I mean, the, the new motherboard and BIOSes are set up so that uh, when you insert that flash drive that has windows on it it's looking for a bootable drive if there's no operating system on it mm. so it's searching all the drives and once it sees oh there's a flash drive with windows it will start you through the windows update process now i did have a little troubleshooting with that because a file wouldn't copy over correctly so i just went to the windows website and they i had to download a tool and it and so this was all on a separate computer, obviously, because if you don't have Windows, you can't use Windows applications. So I was doing all this on my laptop uh, to, to uh, get the boot up drive from right. that CD so you need, made. You need some kind of second computer, which everybody should have. If, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or if you so, don't have it, a friend has it. Go ask a friend. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So now talk about a little bit about the migration process so now you have this your studio b computer now you got to figure out what were all your plugins and where were they installed like talk maybe some tips for migrating yeah good question so after i ordered all the components one of the first things that i did was i went through my computer and i started making a list in google sheets of what are all my favorite plugins that I have installed in companies? Because I don't intend to migrate over every single one of them because over Makes the past sense. seven years, I've accumulated a lot of plugins. Some never see the light of day. Spring cleaning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. So I started making a list. I also made a list of, you know, where do I have all those installers? Like, do I have to go to the, uh, the manufacturer websites to download my installers and install keys, or there's a few plugins that I have from smaller third-party companies where I just have the installer file. There's no license key. I just have that installer on a flash drive and I can't get it again. Like the payoff is like, uh, there's no limit to the amount of computers I can install it on or copy it. But if I ever lose that ins installation file, I don't have the plugin anymore. So just kind of taking like that housekeeping of figuring out where is everything? How do I get access to it? So this is while the components are being shipped to my house. So 
once I got my windows installed, the very first thing I did was I just kind of went through in order of importance. So the first thing I installed was my DAW. Right. All the applications that go along with that. Then I started going through all my plugin libraries and sample libraries. And I was thinking about this and I don't know if the way I did it was the best way, but I know it was the quickest way uh, and, and also an organized way. So I just allowed all the programs to install on my C drive where they wanted to make their own folders and installation areas. And I'd gone back and forth about this a lot because with my old build, uh, for some programs, I would just kind of let them go through the installation process and install themselves wherever they wanted to on my hard drive. But for other programs, for some reason, I don't know if it was the day or just my state of mind, I would say that's a really odd folder that it wants to install in. I'll never be able to find that if I need to look for it. I'm going to create my own location for that program to go. Hmm. So that's totally fine if you want to do it that way. But with having a second studio computer and wanting to have mirror images of each other, uh, to be able to move a session from one computer to the other, they have to look identically the same for those sessions to work. And so I decided the most efficient way to do that, the quickest way would be once I install all of my uh, programs and plugins on my new computer, I'm just going to let it go and put things by default where they want to go. So once I know that that all works and all my plugins are working perfectly, then I'm going to start using that new computer as my main studio computer. And I'm going to completely do a clean uh, wipe format my old studio computer and then reinstall all the same stuff like I did with my new computer to make it a clone. I this We go back and forth on this and I know there's a lot of different opinions. I have always installed plugins in their default location wherever they want to be installed yeah is what i've gone with and i can see the disadvantage of that because a lot of times i'm like i where is this especially yeah. with waves waves is such a nightmare but ultimately i just do that because it's easier and because if i reinstall it something later a newer version i know it'll just take care of the old versions and yeah exactly i don't have to think about it so that's been my my strategy as well well this is great man this is great information i'm, I'm seriously gonna hit you up for some shopping <laughs> list stuff because i my computer is also about 2015 vintage mm. and ram is my big limiting factor so i'm actually going to be doing some research to see if i can upgrade my ram i have 16 gigs and i would love to have 32 um but i got to do some some homework first to figure out if that's possible and if not, I love the idea of, of building my own machine, especially with your mentorship. So we'll just leave with maybe some of your, what was your biggest surprise learning or what would you change if you were doing it all over again? Oh, man. Good questions. Let's start with biggest surprise. Um, oh, so maybe this wasn't a huge surprise, but... I mean, just in general, you're, you're always going to have to troubleshoot shoot something. In the spirit of DIY, when you build something DIY, there's always going to be something that doesn't work quite right. And I had two things that came up. Uh, okay. 
one my wife helped me with because I was losing my mind a little bit <laughs> and she helped calm me down. So when I first turned on my computer to see if it worked, um, everything lit up, but my expensive cooling fan just wasn't working. I was like, are you kidding me? Like this thing doesn't work. And then I was starting to blame myself because I thought that I might have damaged it when I put it in. And it turns out I should have known better because the same exact thing happened with my old build. A wire had become dislodged from where there was kind of a housing to keep the wires out of the way of the fan. And it was actually blocking the fan from rotating. Mm. And so all that I had to do was move that wire out of the way and then it ran perfectly fine. Okay. So that was a lesson in just keeping your head and troubleshooting, which I should have learned from our troubleshooting episode. And I yeah, totally, yeah, we just did that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I just lost my mind instead. So yeah, yeah, it's just always best to, even if you think something's broken, just go through the process of troubleshooting first. Well, that's part of the process. Part of the process for me when something goes wrong is to first <laughs> lose my mind and be like, it's over. It's hang it all up. And then the next step is to start working through it methodically, but I can't get to it without the first step. So you did it right. <laughs> yeah. One thing I ran into that was something I had not thought about was that uh, once I hooked everything up, I couldn't get my second monitor to run, even though it was hooked into the display port output. Um, so I, I like running two monitors and a lot of motherboards will support that, but sometimes you need an additional graphics card to run that second monitor or something. And I looked at the connectivity and I saw, oh, there's HDMI out and um, display port, so I should be fine. Well, that display port was only an input. For, uh, uh, it wasn't an wait. output. Really weird. What? I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know why you would want that, but uh, you could input uh, video from uh, display port into your motherboard. So I don't know why. Yeah, really weird. Uh, so I had to wind up buying a lightning cable to HDMI to use. Yeah, because there's like three or four lightning outputs um, on my motherboard. So just little things like that, like that you don't think about. So just think through like every single component, you know, does it have a gotcha. place to plug in and, and will it work? Right. Curious for connectivity, uh, internet connectivity. Is it wireless or is it still it is. LAN cable? Wireless. It's which is really nice. I thought I would have awesome. wanted to go like, um, you know, a, a LAN cable, but actually, it's modern Wi-Fi technology, and it's basically just as fast as a cable. It's pretty impressive. Let me tell you something. My computer runs. I have a thirty-five foot long LAN cable running to the router, and my wife hates it she's like does this need to run through because it runs right through the living room i don't blame her yeah i'm like yes i have no other way i'm not drilling a hole in the floor and uh working with the drop ceiling so uh that's uh i can't wait to go uh to go wireless with that so ben it's been awesome talking to you yeah, about man. this congratulations i mean this oh, is really you. a great accomplishment and i'm super excited for you uh to just have a faster more enjoyable creative work process and um, I may not be far, far behind you because I'm super jealous right now. That's I would say that's the number one emotion I'm feeling is jealousy. So congratulations and thank you for sharing your, your wisdom with us. Hey, absolutely. Computers might not be like what everybody's most excited about when they're doing studio stuff. If any of you guys don't want to do the amount of research and just want to ask me questions, reach out to me in the DIY, uh, DIY Guys Facebook community. 
Um, and I'd be happy to like answer any questions or help you guys out. Cool. Appreciate it. And uh, where can people find your work? No, I'm just kidding. That's what I ask the other guests. You're a host. So yeah. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll see you guys next week on another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. Until then, we're signing off and reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. All right. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support See you next week.